One of the things I like about this time of year is hearing Christmas songs on the radio and in stores and in malls and actually in my house now that it's after Thanksgiving. We are allowed to play them in my house. I won't say who the gatekeeper is on that, but <laughs> just say we're allowed to play them in our house now after Thanksgiving. And there's certainly songs uh, that uh, you hear on the radio or in the malls, songs of jingling bells or flying reindeer that are fun and spark joy and imagination. But I especially like hearing the Christmas songs that are truly Christian Christmas songs. And they're still played over the airwaves and in the stores. Uh, It is the one time a year that I can turn on my radio in the car in New England and hear Christian theology songs coming through the speakers. Songs that proclaim Christ, the Savior is born. Songs that call all the faithful to come and worship. Songs that proclaim the joy that has come to this world. I recognize the rich theology of these songs is often lost on the majority of shoppers and radio listeners. For many people, God rest ye merry gentlemen has little more spiritual meaning than Frosty the Snowman. For many people, oh holy night is no more a spiritual experience for them than tonight's going to be a good night. But these songs that we pull out for a few weeks a year are rich in meaning about the truths of our God And these truths are for all time, not just for Christmas. So for the next few weeks in December, for our December messages, what we've decided to do is talk about some of these carols that are rich in theology, calling this series Carols for Every Season. We are calling, uh, we are looking at all the, some different songs, and each week we're going to link a song to a message that week, a song you've probably heard, a song, well, no doubt heard, probably um, a thought about, maybe know the meaning to, or maybe not. This morning we are looking at the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and we sang it just a few moments ago. Uh, we sing this song, its words date back to the early 1700s. Its music, as far as we can tell, actually dates back probably to the 15th century. Some of you sing that song and feel like, yeah, that's about right, 15th. (laughs) Sounds about 15th century. But here's another beauty of these songs, right? I love singing songs like uh, In Christ Alone or some of these Christmas carols and thinking about the hundreds of years that the saints of Jesus Christ have sung these songs. The saints that one day we will be connected with forever in heaven have sang these same songs that we sing for hundreds of years. And O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is one of those songs that connects us not only with one another here, connects us with the Lord, but connects us with the church throughout the ages. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is primarily a song of anticipation of deliverance and salvation. We sing of a people who are captive to sin and living in a sinful world, a people who have no hope of deliverance apart from God. Yet we sing knowing that God has promised that deliverance will come. We sing in faith, anticipating that he will bring it out about. So it is both a prayer and a song of hope and a proclamation of faith. There's a lot of rich theology in this song, but we're not going to get into all the verses. I really just want to focus on that first verse that we sang this morning, the song, 
this part about Emmanuel and the part about a child coming. To understand this song, I'm going to ask you to travel with me back in time and to make two stops on our journey. We're going to get in our time machines, whatever that means for you. We're going to get in our time machines, and we're going to travel back in time, and we're going to make two stops along the journey to understand this. You see, the lines from this song are really found in a prophecy in the Old Testament. So our two stops are the fulfillment of the prophecy in the time of Jesus and the giving of the prophecy quite some time before that. Both of these historical stops, as we look at the words of the song, involve two issues, control and faith. Control and faith. There are times in our lives where we are all faced with the decision of who will be in control in our lives. There are times in our lives where you might face something that seems overwhelming, even frightening to you, and the question you will have to answer is who is in control and who will be given control in that situation. There are times in your life where you will come to a situation that you did not expect. Maybe it's forced upon you, not about by your own making, and you have to make a decision of who is going to be in control in that moment and where is your faith and trust. And that's what this passage and this song really gets at. So let me take us in our time machines, put on your time machine hat or whatever that is, working from the present backwards. Our first historical stop is the shortest and it's the one that's probably most familiar to us when we come to this word, Emmanuel. The first stop is somewhere we're traveling back to around 4 B.C., maybe 5 B.C., right around in that area. And at this stop, the people and the names are probably familiar to you. We are arriving at night. And in fact, John, shut out the house lights. We'll shut the house lights. We'll set, we'll set, the, we'll set the mood here. We are arriving at night in a room where there is a man in the midst of a restless sleep. He is not usually this restless. In fact, he's usually quite calm. His life up until recently had very little excitement. He makes his living working with wood, which takes skill and patience. He's a man of character and integrity. From all we can tell, there's nothing terribly remarkable about him. He is a very distant relative of the greatest king of the nation he lives in, King David. But while that is an interesting fact to discuss at family gatherings and something to remember, it had very little practical value in day-to-day life, especially when you're living under the oppression of another nation. His sleep is restless on this night that we visit him because of a decision that he has just made moments before regarding his fiancée, a young woman named Mary. It crushed him to hear the news that Mary was pregnant. He had his whole life planned out with this young woman. He was going to continue his carpentry business, be married, provide a home and life for his new bride and, and hopefully the kids and children that the Lord would bless them with. Everything was perfect. Their families were pleased and happy with the arrangement, and everything was falling into place. Then she gave him the news. 
How could she have been unfaithful to him? Who was the guy who had done this to her? Who was the guy who had done this to him? Violating his trust, shattering his dreams, violating his wife. How could Mary do this? If he let his anger get the better of him, he could strike out in revenge, have Mary severely punished and publicly shamed. But he still cared for her too much to do that. So just before we arrived and just before he fell asleep, he decided on this night that he would break off the engagement quietly, not make a big deal about it, and they would just go their separate ways. She would be free to marry whoever the father of this child was. Mary had given him some story about an angel coming to her. And while he never knew her to be a liar, he wished she would just spare him the stories and tell him what they both knew had really happened. His sleep is quickly interrupted on this night by an intruder. An intruder that is uninvited but yet not unwelcomed. An angel now visits this man named Joseph. The angel, a messenger of heaven, who comes with the message that Mary's pregnancy is indeed not the result of her interactions with another man, but is in fact the result of God himself making her pregnant, and that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel assures him that he has nothing to fear by marrying Mary and that he is to name the child Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In fact, Matthew chapter 1, if you want to look at it with me, in verse 19, it says, Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. In Matthew chapter 1, we have this account of Joseph being given this assurance by the angel, being told not to fear, and what Mary told him was actually true. When you think about it, if we were in Joseph's position, we would probably need at least one angel to convince us of this situation. I think it's interesting in this passage that the angel says, do not fear to take Mary home as your wife. Like, I would be afraid the angel's just sitting there But that doesn't seem to be the thing that Joseph's afraid of. He tells him, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And he has to be convinced. And God sends this angel to Joseph because this is important. And he knows that Joseph is scared and knows that Joseph doesn't want to do this. But he sends the angel and Joseph decides afterwards that he would give control over to God, that he would trust this heavenly messenger, and that he would make Mary his wife. And in the midst of that, right after that, Mary, uh, the scriptures tell us that uh, after he made him his wife, Mary gave birth to a son. They did, in fact, name him Jesus. 
But right in between the angel's visit that night when we're there, and right in between verse 24 that talks about Jesus being born, there's another verse that Matthew gives us. And this verse, Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, he says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We sing this song, O come, O come, Emmanuel. You may think that this word Emmanuel is is present throughout the whole of Scripture and everywhere because we sing this song so much it actually only shows up three times. Once here in Matthew and twice we'll find out on our next journey a little further back in time. Matthew is connecting this event in about 4 B.C. to a prophecy given a little over 700 years earlier. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is letting us know that this event was spoken about by God in the past. The event itself is certainly miraculous. Here is a woman who had never been with a man. She has never known a man sexually. There is an egg and no seed, and yet she is with child. For all the history of the world up until this moment, the only way a woman became pregnant is through being with a man. This is a bit unusual. But it is not only unusual, it is miraculous. It is the fulfillment of prophecy spoken of years earlier. Matthew is telling us this to build up our faith. Joseph married her even though she was pregnant, not by him, because an angel told him to do it and assured him that this was God and of no human doing. This is a sign that this is from God and the people will later say of this boy, this is God with us. Joseph had a decision in that moment. Something came his way that he did not expect. Something came and shattered and shook his world and shook his plans and came out of nowhere. He had plans. He had his life laid out. He had his family laid out. He knew what it was gonna, he was going to do, probably what his father before him had done and his father before him and his father before him. They were, he was going to set up a business. He was going to have a family. He was going to raise his children. This was the way it was, and this is what was going to happen. And then Mary is pregnant. And then an angel comes, and he has a decision to make. Will he follow his own decision Will he keep control for himself and say, angel or no angel, I am not going through what it's going to mean to marry a woman who's already pregnant. I'm not going to put my family through that. I'm not going to put myself through that. I'm not going to do it. Will he hold on to control for himself and continue the decision that he decided in his own mind? Or will he believe the word of God? Step out in faith into a situation that is no doubt going to cause problems, embarrassment, shame, explanations. You know, every time someone they meet, they're like doing the math in their head. They're like, wait a second. Will he keep control for himself or will he release control to God? He's faced with this decision. Even with the heavenly messenger, he still had to make the decision. And he decided to release that control to God. Let's get back in our time machines for a moment. Let me take you to another place. 
You're back in your time machines, and now we're going to go further back. We're going to go about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. We arrive by the side of a water conduit or a pool, uh, running water that supplies water to a nearby city. There we meet another young man. This man's in his late 20s, perhaps his early 30s. Like Joseph, he is also a descendant of the great King David, though at this point he is only a few generations removed. His name is Ahaz, and he is the king of Judah, the southern part of the now divided nation of Israel. Israel, after the time of Solomon, was divided as a divided kingdom. Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And Ahaz is the king of Judah. Ahaz became king of Judah when he was 20 years old. His father's name was Jotham, and he was a good man. He's a good king, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. His grandfather's name was Uzziah, and he was a good man, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But Uzziah, but, uh, but Ahaz, excuse me, chose a different path. They say that character is not created under pressure. It's simply revealed, and that's certainly true in the case of Ahaz. Ahaz got involved in idolatry and worshiping false gods. And what happened was when the pressure on Ahaz ramped up, he ramped up his idolatry and worshiping of false gods. Here's what was going on. So here you have Judah, this little nation in the, in the south. And then you have this great military power called Assyria. And Assyria was the greatest military power of the age right then. And what Assyria would do is it would go in and attack little nations and take them over and take all the people and kill them, many of them, and take many others as prisoners. And then they would kill them in such brutal ways. They would like set them up on poles, their, their, their dead bodies around the city so that they could see how powerful the Assyrians are and they're not to be messed with. Assyria was a strong military power of the day. And so many nations feared Assyria, including the nation of Israel and the nation of Syria. And the nation of Israel and Syria had made a pact that they would be together and go against Assyria, and they wanted Judah's help. So they went to Ahaz, and they wanted a pact with him to go against Assyria. And Ahaz said no, he didn't want to do that. He had another plan in his mind. So Syria and Israel came together and they decided, well, we're going to attack Judah then. And we'll put someone else in the king's seat and we'll make sure that person agrees with us. And so Ahaz is now fearful because these other two nations are going to come against him and he's fearful. And what happens when he's fearful is he ramps up the bad habits that he was involved with. Second Chronicles 28 verse 22 uh, says this, in the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord, this same King Ahaz. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him and said, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them and they will help me. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. So what he did was he was scared. So he's like, you know what? I've got to sacrifice to more gods. 
And so he finds more gods of these other nations, and he starts making sacrifices to them. He starts setting altars up all over the city to sacrifice to all these gods to try and get help. And ultimately what he does is he try and tries to make a pact with Assyria to not attack and to become their ally. So when we arrive at the water conduit, this is the situation Ahaz is in. He's scared, and he doesn't know what to do. Perhaps he's up at this water conduit thinking that the armies could come in, cut off the water supply, and then what will we do? Perhaps he's trying to strategize and think about how to protect this important source of life. But he's there. He's at the water conduit, and we show up. But he's not alone there. We're there, of course. But there are two other men standing there with him. It's a father and a son. The father's named Isaiah, and he is a man who the true God speaks through. He is a prophet. The other man is Isaiah's son. His name is Shear Jashub, which translates to mean a remnant shall return. And even though Ahaz has done so much evil and is not serving the Lord, God still has a plan for the family of David. See, God had many years ago, we don't have time today to take that time trip, but if we did, many years ago, God had said to David, you will always have a descendant on the throne, and you and your family will reign forever. And so Ahaz is a part of that family, and God had made that promise. And so God, even though Ahaz has done all this evil stuff, sends this man Isaiah to him to speak to him. It's grace that God sends this man to him. See, God makes good on his promises even when people try to thwart them. So God in his grace and mercy sends Isaiah to Ahaz. And in a sense, he basically tells him, pull it together, man. Stop being so afraid. God is going to take care of this. He gives him a word and tells him that the people he is worried about, he does not need to worry about. They will be taken care of. He simply needs to trust God. Isaiah chapter 7. If you have your Bible, turn over to Isaiah chapter 7. And you'll find there that this is the origination of the prophecy that comes from the song we sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 7. wondering why I couldn't find it because I put my bookmark in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. <laughs> and I said, that doesn't sound right. There we go. Isaiah chapter 7, that's better. Someone's got it on their phone there. Um... <laughs> uh, Isaiah chapter 7, he speaks to him, and he said, yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. This is, he's speaking to Ahaz's fear. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. With 65, within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. This is verse 9. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. And he's basically saying, look, these people aren't that great. They're not, they're not as powerful as you think, and they're going to be gone. 
before you even know it. But then listen to this line at the end of verse 9, what he says. He issues a challenge. He issues, he issues kind of a conditional statement. He says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And here's the challenge of control that he puts out there. He says, look, Ahaz, you've been, done, you've been doing some bad stuff, but God is going to be faithful to his word. And these people that you're worried about, you don't have to be worried about them. But what you do have to do is have your faith in God. What you do have to do is put your faith in God himself that he will take care of this. But if you don't, God's still going to bring about his plan, but you are not going to stand firm you're going to be wiped out. And God will still preserve the line of David. God will still bring it about because God is God. But you're going to have to deal with the consequences. And so he says to Ahaz, look, you got to stand firm in your faith that you have an opportunity here. Are you going to try and keep control for yourself or are you going to give control over to God? Because Ahaz had a plan. He was going to become friends with Assyria. He was going to become friends with them, and he was going to pay tribute to them, and he was going to worship their gods, and everything would be fine. But God said, look, just put your trust in me, and I'll take care of it. And then he makes this incredible offer. Chapter 7, verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Think about that. He tells, he tells Ahaz, he says, look, God is making you this offer. I understand you don't believe it because you see these armies and you see these people wanting to attack. And I understand, no, no problem. I understand it would be hard to believe. It's very similar to the angel coming to Joseph hundreds of years later. It's very hard to believe. I understand it's hard to believe that a virgin's with child. I understand this. So God sent an angel to show you. And so Isaiah says, look, it's hard to believe that these armies can be defeated. You don't have enough faith. So God is telling me to tell you to ask him anything. The highest heights or the lowest depths, and he'll do it. What do you want? You want the sun to go to set early? You want the sun to go backwards? You want me to do the frogs thing again? You want to do the burning bush thing again? You pick it, anything. And I'll show you that I'm going to do this. But Ahaz cannot even obey in this because he already has made up his mind. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And then Isaiah said, Here now, you house of David, it's not enough for you to try the patience of men. Will you now try the patience of God also? He won't even take God up on this. And then he says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And God says, if you won't ask for a sign, that's fine. I'll give you a sign anyway. And the sign's going to be that a virgin will be with child, and he will give birth, and will call him Emmanuel. He allows Ahaz to ask for a sign, and Ahaz doesn't take him up on it. And even though Ahaz wouldn't obey, the Lord says, I'm going to do it anyway. But you're not you're going to have to experience the consequences. And he gives him this prophecy. 
Most prophecies in Scripture, especially prophecies around the Messiah, we would call them double fulfillment prophecies. There's a way they're fulfilled in the immediate that makes sense to the people listening. But then there's also a way in the distant future that people really don't know how it's going to get fulfilled. And this prophecy is no different. In the short-term fulfillment of the prophecy, there must have been a child following Ahaz at some point. Some think it was Hezekiah, and it may have been. The word that the Old Testament there uses for virgin doesn't necessarily have to be translated that a virgin is pregnant. It could very easily be translated that a woman who is now a virgin will have a child. And that can happen through the natural occurrences of, of, that it usually happens. But it's, a, it's an unusual word to use for that. There was an easier word that could have been used for an unwed woman. And, and, and this unusual word is in there. And, and so it allows for a short-term fulfillment. There was probably a child born in Ahaz's life that these two kingdoms were taken care of in the span of that child's life. But there was more to it than that. Because later on, what theologians started to realize is that the prophecy was never really truly fulfilled. That even though those nations were taken care of just as Isaiah said they would be, there was more to this child that had to become. Because there was no one named Emmanuel. We can look through Scripture in the Old Testament, no one named their child Emmanuel. And, and so that didn't make a whole lot of sense. And, and then Isaiah continues to talk about this child in chapter 8, in chapter 9, and chapter 11. In chapter 9, it says, to, Unto us a child is born, and the government shall be on his shoulders. Well, that could make a little sense, but it didn't make entire sense because it wasn't the government of the world. In chapter 11, it says that from the stump of Jesse, that's King David's father, a shoot will come out, and the Spirit of the Lord will be upon him. And all these things people started to think about after the time of Ahaz and says, well, that really hasn't been fulfilled. And I wonder how God is going to bring that about. And all these theologians thought about this for hundreds of years, and it would take a tax collector named Matthew 700 years later to put all the pieces together for us and realize that the conversation by the water pipe 700 years ago was pointing to this day when we find Joseph sleeping in a bed and awakened by an angel. So that now a true virgin was with child, and people for many years and even today would call him Emmanuel, for he really is God with us. With Ahaz, Isaiah was sent to tell him, God is with you, trust him, and he will make good on his promise of deliverance. The angel was sent to Joseph to tell him, God is with you and with Mary. This is God's plan. You can trust him. He is making good on his promise to provide deliverance from the sin for people. And to you today, God is saying you can trust him and that he is with you. See, God's plan is going to come about. God is going to bring it about. One evidence of this is just before this passage in Matthew where we read about Joseph, there's a section called the genealogy. You know that section. You skip it when you read Matthew. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't. You wouldn't do that. Other people do. The person beside you does. You wouldn't do that. Has all these names, begat, begat, begat. You get through a few of them. 
uh, begat, 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 begat. But you get through them all. Was the father of, was the father of, was the father of. And some names you recognize and some you don't. And I bet there's a name in there you never even noticed once. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And on and on it goes until Joseph is the father of Jesus. And Ahaz, though he did not choose to follow God's plan, God brought his plan about anyway. God's plan will come about, but we still must choose and gives us the opportunity to give him control or to take it for himself. Because what happened is Assyria that he tried to make that pact with, yeah, well, they're not real friendly and they're not good on their word. They came down, they attacked Judah, they killed, they wiped out. The line was preserved, but Ahaz and his family suffered consequences for his lack of trusting in God. Today, as we look at these passages in this prophecy, and as we think about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, you can trust him to deliver you and forgive you of the sins in your life. What do you need to trust God with today? Where are you tempted to take control in your life? Some of you in this room have never allowed God to take control of your lives. You've been in control all along, yet it seems the more you take control, the worse things become. The more you take control, the more depressed and purposeless life seems. The tighter you grip the wheel, the more relationships fall apart. The more you control, the more you realize you can't control. And the anger, fear, and frustration is building. Today, will you give control to the one who sits in heaven and ultimately is in control? Like with Ahaz, if you refuse to give God control, God's plan still comes about. But you feel the consequences of rejecting God's promises. God's plan still comes about. The world is still going to go according to God's plan. The second coming of Jesus is still going to happen, whether you believe it or not. These things will still unfold the way that God says. But will you and I trust in his promises? Or do we suffer the consequences of trying to keep control for ourselves and miss out on God's promises? Whenever we feel like things are out of control and we become afraid, the baby in the manger is a reminder that there is nothing to fear. God is with us, and he is in control. What was but a shadow of things to come in the book of Isaiah is a bright light for us today. The baby in Isaiah's time promised deliverance from a foreign oppressor, but the baby we see in Bethlehem promises deliverance from the oppressor. And an eternal reminder that no matter what the situation, God is with us and we can trust him. Will you trust the one who is in control or will you try and take control for yourself? Remember that no matter what, God is with us and he is in control. And that, I hope, when you're walking through the mall or you turn on the radio... Or you pop the CD in and you hear, O come, O come, Emmanuel. That these two men will come to mind. A man named Joseph, who was challenged in a moment. 
who is challenged to trust God in a very difficult situation and give control to God. And he chose to do it, and God blessed him. And there's a man named Ahaz that God also spoke this prophecy to, and he offered him the chance to trust him, and he chose not to. And he suffered the consequences. When you are in that place and you are singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we sing that song because we're in a place where we need deliverance. We're in a place where we need God to come through. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Ransom us, redeem us. And God has sent Jesus to spiritually redeem us, but we still live in a world that has yet to be fully redeemed. And as you're living in that world, and as you're suffering difficult circumstances, and as we look around and we see things go wrong, whether it's in Paris or London or San Bernardino, and we look at these things and we say this world is not the way it should be, will we choose to try and take back and grasp and control the situation ourselves? Or will we put our trust and faith that God is still in control even when the world around us looks out of control? O come, O come, Emmanuel. Thank you for coming the first time. We praise you. We remember that in this table this morning. In the midst of this time we live in before he comes the second time and puts things right, And justice rolls like a mighty river. And all those things that have been once said will come to be. And things are once again the way they were meant to be. Until that time will we trust that he is still with us and that he is still in control. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this word. Emmanuel, God with us. That is one of your names. And we come to you this morning, Emmanuel, God with us. We come to you and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for certainly the incarnation of our Lord coming to live in this world among us. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us in this room this morning, the oftentimes that we are presented with the choice of whether we will keep control to ourselves, or give it over to you. And Lord, I ask that we would be a people that would trust that you are going to make good on your promise just as you did the first time. Just as you did saying that there will be a virgin who will be with child. And many people throughout the years didn't know how that was going to be, but you brought it about. Lord, will we trust that you are going to make good on your promise to redeem this world, that there is a heaven that is real. And that word, as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we are allowed and made welcome in that place. Will we trust in your promises or will we try and wrest control for ourselves? Father, may we be a people that sings about your presence and your goodness with us and trusts that it is true. And so I lift up every man and woman in here today who, Lord, is struggling with that. And they're struggling to give you control. And they're struggling, Lord, to trust in your promises. And they're struggling to put their faith in you. And their fear is sometimes overcoming their faith. Lord, I ask that you would build up 
the faith within us to trust you with everything, that you are good and that you are loving and gracious and that you are with us. You are with us. We pray this in the name of Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.